Did you try, Greg, some of the some of the apple whiskey pie? Uh, I didn't get around to it yet. Shanalee Vidal, as promised, brought in the apple whiskey pie from her friend who put the pie symbol for Pie Day 314 in the top. Yeah, on top of the pie. In the crust? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I uh, proceeded to cut it. It tried to cut it into eight nice, even pieces, but you know, apple pie is kind of a mess. Yeah, sure. And sure. I'm clumsy. Yeah, and so did you end up with the biggest piece? No, I took the small. Oh, I took well. They're they're all. I tried to make them all even, but I did not take the biggest piece. It was very good. So for those who are here in the building, you should try some. And uh, until before Christian O'Mel gets here, because he is a large man and he eats a lot, and he will eat the whole pie. <laughs> So if you want some pie, Greg, get out there before Christian does. So uh, there are no less than one, two, three, four teams with the name Tigers. There are no less than one, two, three, four, five, six Wildcats teams. Oh, I know what you're looking at. <laughs> there are the Friars. There are the Jayhawks. The Chicago Ramblers. What am I talking about? You're talking about March Madness. March Madness. Two Cougars teams, the Hokies, the Blue Jays, the Bonnies. Oh, my gosh. The nicknames alone have me salivating at the thought of March Madness. Yeah, this is the one time of the year where the whole world suddenly pays attention to American college basketball for reasons either that involve enjoying it or for reasons that involve, where's my show? Oh, stupid basketball's on for the next month. <laughs> Young and the Restless will be pre- preempted on CBS today and tomorrow. And so that will affect things on global as well, because we get the episodes a day ahead here in Canada of what they play them on the States. Oh, nice. And so uh, sometimes, so I don't know what happened yesterday with Young and the Restless because I'm a couple weeks behind. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be affected dramatically over the next little while. The ongoing so, saga is of Victor Newman and Jack Abbott? Yes, exactly. Yeah, they're really kind of at it again. Uh, so so you'll have to be patient. <laughs> I will crush you! <laughs> Just understand Sorry. that Jack and Victor, not as important as the Blue Devils and the Jayhawks. It's just it's just not possible. That's right. And I, uh, I used to, when I was a big, big basketball fan, I would make... Uh, Full like a big bracket that I could put on my wall. You did? Yeah, Good not like a, not the full wall, but That's it was cool. it was I don't know about a meter by one by meter, and I'd put all the teams in, and I was super nerdy about that. And actually, one of my friends I saw on her Instagram, she's doing that on her like a her full wall is a bracket. It's well, amazing. I was, I was gonna say this has no gender bias at all. I mean, this is like playoff. Pools and hockey, your Super Bowl and playoff picks, your NFL pools now, quite often, the people that end up winning these things are women. Mm-hmm. Like, because for whatever reason, I always pick with my heart, right? Yeah. I always I always go with the Tar Heels. <laughs> I always go with North Carolina, yep. Kansas, uh, Kentucky, and then uh, Gonzaga. Those are like my four teams that I always pick to go to the final four because those are the four teams that I have the most affection for. Okay. And so I pick with my heart instead of with my head. And if, so if you don't have any bias, and I'm not saying that there aren't gigantic female NCAA fans out there, but for guys and gals that don't have any bias, that the only time they pay attention is when they get one of these bat brackets thrown in front of them and a coworker asking for $20 in return. <laughs> 
That's the way to go, is just to pick based on a little bit of gut. There have been bracket competitions. I think they had one two years ago where it was if you picked a perfect bracket, you'd win a billion dollars. Oh, my goodness. Because it's impossible to do. It's essentially impossible to pick a perfect bracket. Yeah, it's well, because you've got 64 teams, but now they also have what they call the first four. So the first four teams to get in where it's kind of like a play-in, I suppose similar to the wild card situation that they now have in the Scotties and the Briar, right, where they've got this Correct. play-in game. Uh, so they have eight teams competing for the the first four spots, as it were, to get in. So, uh, so those games happened actually yesterday and the day before, but today marks the official round one, round two, which I think actually is better because I'm pretty sure last year, and I, I could be wrong in this, but I'm just thinking, I think last year they counted the first four as round one, and that that threw me off. Uh, I think that's what they did. But, yeah, the first round and the second round typically are the best days to watch. Like the, the next four days, are you're going to see the most fun basketball because that's usually where all the upsets happen. I know people who take days off work for this, uh, much to the chagrin of their wives. Uh, I'm thinking of one guy in particular. It's, a, it's not people. It's one guy. His name is Kent. Well, our friend Scott Mortland from San Diego, typically this weekend he goes to Las Vegas. Oh, and oh. Scott's not like a big gambling guy, but <laughs> yeah. he likes to go. And this is the weekend he goes. So billion dollars was a little bit of an exaggeration. Warren Buffett's NCAA tournament bracket challenge this year. If you pick a perfect bracket, you get a million dollars a year for life. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. So but the it'll Oracle never happen. of Omaha is saying, yeah, I'm going to tantalize you a little bit. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, and I think college basketball obviously has is not uh, huge in Canada. There was a time in the early 1990s where it was significantly large because of the Michigan Wolverines, the Fab Five, as it were, the Fab Five freshmen. And I always, I'm going to try it. Okay, it was Chris <sighs> Weber. There was a Juwan Howard. Yes. There was a Ray Jackson. Yes. Uh, Jimmy something. Jimmy. Was uh, it Jimmy Jackson? And Ray. Might have been Jimmy Jackson. J- Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose. Yeah, that's right. But it's Jimmy Jackson, I think, is the one that I always forget. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> if you know the Fab Five, the Michigan Fab Five, Texas. To us, two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Yeah, and uh, well, yeah. So text us, and we'll see who can get to the answer quicker. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight is the number for that. Exploitation doesn't care what race, color, creed you are. All it cares about is if it can get you. The reality of child sexual exploitation, a four-part global news special series. 6.36 on this Thursday morning, and uh, we just want to let you know if you have kids in the car or in the bedroom right now, we advise listener discretion for this next segment. Some of the content of this next discussion may be disturbing. The Reality of Child Sexual Exploitation is a four-part series from Global News in Winnipeg and Global News morning anchor Shannon Kuzis is here to tell us about part three. So part three, we're giving people a glimpse of what life is like inside safe houses in Manitoba. One is in Winnipeg and one is in rural Manitoba. It's called Hands of Mother Earth Healing Lodge. And so we introduce you to some team members there who are working with 
girls and transgender youth that are coming in who've endured a life of sexual exploitation. And we talk about how the healing happens, what kinds of arts, culture, food, bonding activities happen there to help these survivors turn their lives around. Well, and here is the team lead at the Rural Safe House, Tammy McKay. Home is home. This is a place for these girls to come home to because most of them have never had a home. They don't know. They've gone from placement to placement to placement and facilities and lockups. And so we don't do any of that. There's no lockup here. They have to want to be here. And it's family here. We're all family. We're all aunties and cousins. And the girls are all sisters. Mm. So, yeah, it's just the best home that we can give them. What did you hear from these survivors who lived in these safe houses. I can only imagine their stories are incredibly inspirational, Shannon. Well, there's a lot of hope in the stories of these survivors, but it's also very disturbing to hear what they've come from and what brought them to these safe houses. Now, one of the girls that I talked to said she was so grateful for the Winnipeg safe house specifically because it was the first place that she was not kicked out of at eight in the morning with the cupboards locked and not allowed to come home until 4.30 p.m. This was a place that when she was sick, people would take care of her. People would rub her head and give her food, something that she didn't experience while she was living in other homes. Aside from this safe home, that was the place that really changed her life around, helped her now mentor other girls. And the cycle just keeps on going of survivors going through this mentorship and then becoming mentors and helping others. So here's a clip from one of those girls who explains what she thinks kids in Manitoba need. It's comforting to know that there are people out there that aren't your blood that want to love and care for you. Um, That's what our kids need. They need love. They need support. They need someone that doesn't give up on them just because things get hard and that's what little sisters is about we're building their self-worth their love uh, healthy relationships and teaching them of how they can succeed even if you fall like it's not a fall because you can get right back up shannon what are some resources for people who are vulnerable or just want some help well, if anyone needs help right now, call 911. That's first. But Kids Help Phone is also a fantastic resource. That's 1-800-668-6868. Here in Manitoba, there's also now a crisis responding text line. So if you send a text to that line, you'll be able to get help immediately. You just have to text CONNECT to 6868. 68 to be connected. There's also a human trafficking hotline that's toll-free and it provides 24-7 support and counseling for anyone that's being trafficked or affected by trafficking and they may be able to put you in touch with a safe house as well. So it's definitely worth a call. 1-844-333-3333. 
888-222-2211. That is the human trafficking hotline. Another great resource is the Department of Justice's Victim Services Directory, or you can also look at the Canadian Mental Health Association online to find which local office would be best to suit your needs. Mental health is something that everybody has, and it's always important to seek help and know you're not alone. Canadian Centre for Child Protection, based right here in Winnipeg, a fantastic resource for anyone as well. Shannon, are all these numbers, resources, and etc. available as part of your story online? Yes, you will be able to find these resources in each of the stories that is on globalnews.ca. As you scroll down, you'll see a list. What's ahead for tomorrow, Shannon? Tomorrow, we're featuring a program that helps sexually exploited survivors take back power and control of their own lives and go back into the community and help other children escape a life of exploitation. It's a very unique program right here in Winnipeg. That's tomorrow. Global News Morning anchor Shannon Kuzes, who has put together a four-part series called The Reality of Child Sexual Exploitation, Part 3, airing today. More on these stories as well at globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg and cjob.com. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, and Shanalee Vidal rolling into the studio behind the glass. Jerry, omnipresent as always. The Manitoba School Boards Association will vote on Friday on a motion to lobby the government to enact legislation for mandatory vaccinations for students. That got us to thinking about our own vaccination histories, how up-to-date our immunization records are, the fact that there are lots of people who are on the fence about immunizing and vaccinating their children. What role does this have in our society? Lots to unpack here. So let's have some coffee and do just that. How about a vaccination of any kind or an immunization of any kind? When's the last time you got a needle, Shanalee Vidal? I think I was in junior high. I think that was the rubella German measles one. So it's been a while. I think it's been a while. I mean, I just got it because they gave it to you in school. I, I don't actually recall going to the doctor as an adult and saying I'd like to get vaccinated. And it's, and it's funny, though, because now uh, I have a friend who's going to be moving to Shanghai for a year. And I thought, oh, I could go spend a week in China, especially since there's, it's only one flight to get there from Winnipeg. You get to direct to China from. Uh, yeah, you can. I, I looked it up, that. and it's it, and so I thought I'm going to go to China for a week. I have to get vaccinated. I didn't realize this, but there I have to make sure that I am covered for tetanus and all these other things. Yeah, well, tetanus is one I think some of us forget. Right, you're supposed to do that. I think it's every seven or ten years. I know I cut myself on one of those uh, handy dandy uh, uh, razor blade knives a few years ago. I had to go and get stitches, and I had to get a tetanus shot, Kelly. Yeah, I think probably a tetanus shot would be the last one that I've had, and. I don't honestly oh. remember how many. <laughs> how new was tetanus at the time? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> you know, as soon as you started talking, Greg. Sorry, Kelly. Jeff was twitching. I'm really, really not in on these things. I do not mean to set you up for them, uh, okay? Yeah, Just so we're clear. I'm sorry, Kelly. Yeah, it goes with the territory of being ancient. I get that. But I, I honestly Tetanus hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, sorry. right. Uh, but I think it was because I stepped on a nail or something like that. But as far as I think when I went to school, the last one I, rem- I think 
I had was when I was like seven years old. That was for polio and... You got the big booster shot score oh, this on your was left shoulder, right? Huge mother of a needle that they brought in, and yeah. you, you can't lie about your age anymore. You just you kind of looked away and went one, two, three, <laughs> four, five. My dad actually had polio when he was a child. Oh my! Yeah, well, he was in a go. leg brace and everything. Well, you know, uh, we have all these incredible vaccines, yet there are people. I'm just reading an article here that you actually uh, gave me, Brett. That that you know we put a lot of blame on anti-vax for the fact that that the vaccination rate is falling in Canada. It's not the anti-vaxxers. They're only about 2% of the population. It's the fence-sitters, Jerry. The people that are like, they him and haw, and they wonder if the anti-vaxxers have some merit in their position. That's crazy. I, I mean, the last time I got uh, uh, any kind of vaccination, I was at the doctor, and she looked at me and said, when was the last time you had any vaccinations? And I said, well, I'm not a cat or a dog. I don't get them every year. <laughs> um, she said, well, let's let's take a look here. She said, okay, I'm going to give you a tetanus shot. I said, all right. So she gave me a tetanus. She said, you know what? I'm going to give you this one and this one and this one as well. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so she loaded me up. That was that was probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, you run through walls now. That's Absolutely. great. That's yeah. great. Well, you're, yeah, I mean, your mom worked in a school and uh, oh, yeah. you, you have, uh, you have a, a child who went through the school system. Yep. Would you ever, did you ever contemplate not vaccinating? Vaccinating your kid? Never. No, it's uh, you get them vaccinated. I mean, all all the the major studies show that it helps. Unless you've got some kind of an allergic uh, issue with some of the stuff that's in them, get it done. Yeah, I I honestly can't remember the last time I was vaccinated for anything, and it's not because I have a, an issue with them. I just go to the doctor and. And if they say you need vaccinations, I say, okay. And if they say I don't, then I guess I don't. Do you ever get the idea that maybe we need, you know, when you buy a brand new car, you get the owner's manual Mm -hmm. and then they have all the different thresholds for the different services you're supposed to have, transmission flush and and get your brakes done at this step. Maybe we need that for uh, us human beings That would be helpful because I, I, someone's like, well, your doctor should have copies or yeah. Keep you on track. Where like I've never once had a conversation with them about vaccines. I have no idea. Yeah, like school is the last time I got anything like that as well. And that was there was one in high school. I can't remember what it was. It must have been grade ten or eleven or something like that. I do remember going into the little. They got took this little supply closet. Was this little nurses station where they were giving everyone a needle that day? And I go in and the lady got real quiet. And she's like, "Now, Jeffrey, I'm like seventeen years old or something." Jeffrey, your mother called and she said you're afraid of needles. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was in my face. Oh, uh, my face was yeah. Oh. And I was like, and I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was afraid of needles. Oh, and we're I, not shocked that you're afraid of needles. No. <laughs> I'm just wondering if your mom actually called. Oh, she did. Head. She did. And this lady was on top of it. And I was just like, just, it's okay. Just do it. It's, it's funny because I actually had a conversation about that yesterday with my, my boyfriend talking about vaccinations and getting them in school. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know. It can be very traumatizing to get vaccinated at school because uh, when I was a child and five years old, I was traumatized by the dental checkup because, you know, the dentist would come and look yeah, in your mouth that. and check for cavities because he thought they were going to drill him. And <laughs> he's like, what about all these kids who are afraid of needles? And, I, you know, my response is just it's better better to get a little pinch yeah. and get over it than end up with uh some horrible disease. Kelly, have you had the shingles vaccine? I have not, no. Have you pondered <laughs> it? I haven't really thought about it that much. I, I'm just thinking about, what was it about uh, 10 or 11 years ago, though, that was the big... The H1N1. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, I was vaccinated for that, so Same that here. was the last Same one. Here. And it was invented then. So should it be? <laughs> <laughs> should it be mandatory in schools for kids to have vaccines, Shanley? Uh, yeah, I mean, but if they're if they don't get it in schools, then they should be forced to get it elsewhere. But they should get it no matter what. I'd be curious to know if anybody listening right now is. Uh, opposing vaccines or is not on board with vaccines, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on it. You can shoot me an email, brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com because I have seen some sort of snapshot polls in recent days where the majority says, yes, it should be mandatory, like in the 75% ballpark, but that means 25% say no, they should not be mandatory. So it's not a slam dunk here. Can I ask a really dumb question here? Yes. Because I excel at that. Uh, What... What is the opposition to having a vaccine? Well, like some people feel that there are that, that that there are side effects to this thing, and the biggest one was a now debunked report and a quote unquote study that showed a link between vaccinations and autism. Jenny okay. McCarthy, you may recall, was kind of at the head of this in terms of publicly speaking out about this. She continues to be an anti-vaxxer. I'm not sure why anybody, with all due respect to Jenny McCarthy, <laughs> following her advice on this and and looking to her to be an iconic uh, figure slash speaker on this situation. But it has trickled down. It has been debunked, but the the... The questions remain for a lot of people. Uh, you know, you just need that just that little shred of doubt for some people, and that permeates for for large uh, large enough faction or section of the population that it has a derogatory or negative effect on something like vaccination rates. Yeah, Jenny McCarthy, that was uh, such a big deal, and she was a, she was a big personality uh, at the time that all that stuff came out, and I think she was on Two and a Half Men and appearing on daytime television, so her reach was significant. Yeah. So yeah, if you have any thoughts, you can text us at 204-780-6868, and again, email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. want to point to a couple of online references that Chanley Vidal dug up. One of them is an app. It's called Can Immunize, and it is available on iTunes at the App Store, as well as on Google Play. And this is from the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. And it's an app that helps you keep track of your vaccinations. I thought I had a million dollar idea. So that's pretty cool. Somebody's done it already. And then if you go to the... It replaces a slice of paper and a pen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And if you go Have to you not been paying attention for the last 20 years, uh, Winnipeg Regional Health Authority's website, there's a, an article here. Are your vaccinations up to date? And it points to a spot where uh, there's an actual uh, immunization schedule for infants through to adults. In case you're curious to know, when should I be getting vaccinated? Well, there's a uh, I can send you a link for this if you want. And it tells you. Uh, how old, if your child is four months old, there should be this, this, and this. And if your child is four to six years old, there, you, there's this and that. And then for adults, for example, uh, somebody, I think there was, somebody mentioned shingles. Uh, do you get the shingles vaccine? And oh, I don't see it here, actually, but I, I saw it somewhere else. I think that it's called Zoster. We hear ads for it, actually, on this right. radio station, uh, that I think it's 60 and up. You should probably be I think it's 50. 50. I think it's 50. I think it's 50, yeah, yeah because I'm probably going to get it next year just to be uh, a little bit proactive because uh, shingles sucks. My dad had it. One of our colleagues had it a couple of years ago. He was a little bit younger than the rest of us, Kelly, and uh, he was in severe pain. One of our listeners concerned about you, Jerry, wanted to know, uh, hey, Jerry, you got all these shots? 
Do you glow in the dark now? (laughs) (laughs) Sometime. Tomorrow, a motion will go to the Manitoba School Boards Association annual meeting to make vaccinations mandatory for public school students, as we were discussing in our previous segment, Having Coffee Talking. Linda Ross, chairwoman of the Brandon School Division Board of Trustees, is the sponsor of this motion. She told Jeff Courier why she sees this as a priority. Um, The rationale behind this is that um, we know that the rates of vaccination are decreasing and that there are certain diseases that have disappeared that are starting to to make a reappearance. And certainly vaccines are important to protect not only children, but also adults from a variety of of serious uh, diseases. And when people don't vaccinate their children, I mean, people think, well, uh, I'm, it's my child. I'm only, you know, I can worry about my child. But it, it has implications also for the larger community. So we need a critical mass of the population to be vaccinated. And the term that's used to refer to that is called herd immunity. And and then that will help protect people who aren't vaccinated. So very young infants who haven't been vaccinated yet or for people who for whom vaccination is uh, contraindicated for for medical reasons um and as the as the critical mass threshold um for herd immunity uh, or as the the number of people who vaccinate their children is is decreasing um that impacts on this critical mass uh, threshold and so you know it, it depends on how contagious the disease is so um, if you've got something like measles that's very contagious and can be spread through the air, the immunity threshold needs to, in, in order to protect the community, is very high at about 95%. Mm. Uh, and so what the data shows us is that the number of parents who are choosing to not vaccinate their children is decreasing and that uh, that's, this herd immunity is at risk in certain cases. You may recall a study, we referenced it in our conversation earlier, that suggested a link between vaccinations and autism. This study now been debunked. It still seems to be having an effect on immunization levels years after its release. There was a study that was published in The Lancet in yeah. 1998 saying, you know, that um, s- suggesting that there was a link between vaccination and, and autism. That study has was subsequently proven to be fraudulent. But nevertheless, the that 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 rumor continues to be out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, as I said, it's a public health concern. Had a conversation this week on the show, Linda, about how falsehoods make the rounds on social media and have much greater impact than than postings that are true and that that old dis- discredited <laughs> yes. that old discredited study is a classic example of, of a piece of work that has long since been discredited but still yep. makes the rounds out there and still and still carries weight with some people oh oh it does it does you know and uh, so the anti-vaccination movement you know is is alive and well and and it doesn't just put it, it's it's not that you are just choosing to put your own child at risk. You are putting other people at risk as well. Many of us have believed that having your vaccines up to date was already a part of the deal of public school. I thought it was. Uh, that's not the case. How would we enforce this has got to be a question. Jeff mused, if you put, could you put the parents in jail? Well, obviously that's not going to happen. How would this work then in, in practical terms? If you say, all right, we're going to mandate 
that all of our school children, except in in those cases, you said there's always a there's always a, an exception, and and in some yeah. cases there are medical reasons, you know, allergies right. and all that sort of thing, all right? But but that aside, how do you enforce something like this? I mean, you you can't expel a, a seven year old, right? You can't put their parents in jail, can you? But how, how how would it work? Well, I guess I, I mean I would. That's above my pay grade, but uh, um, I mean that would be part of the lobbying effort to govern government is to determine how to do that. And so, you know, working through public health, I'm I'm sure the re- the requirement that children be vaccinated and that that be available through public health services that that can be mandated. Um, then I mean, what you do with people who choose to ignore that? That's a whole other um, discussion for, you know, another group of people because, as you said, you're not going to, uh, you know, you can't expel a seven-year-old and, um, you know, everybody's entitled to a public education. But uh, um, there's lots of – should the government accept the the resolution to, to look into it, um, there are certainly lots of details to, to work out. I, I mean, you know – we have, we have public health services. I, I don't think it's possible to manage this. Uh, and most people do vaccinate, but there are sufficiently increasing numbers of people who don't, such as it is presenting a, a risk to public health. Well, uh, vaccinations has got a conversation that we've been having. Apparently, you need your vaccinations up to date uh, to get a visitor's visa to China. But uh, you can go to public school without up-to-date vaccinations. The question... Should vaccinations for school-age children be mandatory to attend public school? And we've had, I don't know, about a dozen and a half text messages, Brett, on this. A variety of opinions on this, but this may sum it up in my mind. It is unethical to force someone to be immunized, but it is not unethical to say that if you aren't vaccinated, you aren't allowed to attend public school. Are you wondering if your vaccinations are up to date? You can find out by calling the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority's immunization record line at 204-938-5347. That's 204-938-5347. And again, you can text us at 204-780-6868 or email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Would love to hear from someone who is against vaccination, not to pick a fight, not to make fun of you, just to hear your opinion on this, because there are a lot of people who are opposed to vaccinations. Vaccination rates are on the decline in the last decade or so. Uh, There is a stat here from this story that we referenced uh, in our previous segment. It says the number of vaccine-preventable infectious diseases Cases between 2005 and 2014 shot up 30% from just over 6,100 to 8,100. That's according to the government of Canada. Lots of you texting in. Are you guys going to Killarney? Hi, <laughs> Killarney, Killarney, Killarney. Killarney is the right answer. It's time for the Small Town Salute, brought to you by our friends at South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. We are joined now by Heather Hebert, who works at the Shamrock Centre in Killarney. Heather, good morning to you. Good morning. So first of all, how long have you lived in Killarney, Heather? Um, I'm not a... I'm not a native of Killarney, 
but uh, we've been our family's been here for about 22 years, so we're feeling uh, we're feeling part of the community for sure. I would hope so after two decades. Wow, no kidding. Uh, what 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 drew you to Killarney, and what keeps you there, Heather? Uh, employment brought us originally to the community. Um, my husband uh, took a promotion to Killarney, and um, a few things changed once we got here. But uh, we decided that we really liked the community. We liked the people in the community. We liked the, the, the lake. We liked the atmosphere of the community. And uh, our children were small at the time and felt that the school system was uh, a good place to put them in. So uh, both of our kids have actually been through the school system, graduated, and now, of course, are off and doing their own thing. But uh, I still think that they consider... Killarney to be their home, no matter where they are. So not far away from Killarney, you've got Sarah the Cam- Camel in Glenborough, you've got Tommy right. Turtle and Boys of Ain, you've got uh, Further Afield, you've got Happy Rock and Gladstone, all these incredible big things in town. In Killarney, right. it would be apropos then that they have a Blarney Stone. Well, they do. There is a Blarney Stone, um, which has drew... Quite a, few, quite a bit of attraction over the years. We've had bus tours come into the community to uh, kind of kiss the Blarney Stone for good luck, if you want to say, um, which is down at uh, Aaron Park, which would again be, Aaron is kind of a, a St. Patrick's Day name. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've certainly got our attractions here in Killarney. Now, you work at the Shamrock Centre, and I know that there's an event happening on Saturday for kids, but what is the Shamrock Centre? Yeah, so the Shamrock Centre, again, kind of along that St. Patrick's or um, feel, um, you know, when the facility was built, it's a recreation facility that we're pretty proud of in our community. Um, you know, we were looking for a name, and um, that's what we've got. So it's it's the Shamrock Centre. It's a recreation facility. Um, we've got a an arena. We've got a curling rink. We've got six lanes of bowling. We've got a beautiful hall um, and a canteen and some office area. And uh, yeah, we are a pretty or pretty or um, pretty lucky if you want to say, a pretty lucky community to have a beautiful facility as we do. So what's happening on Saturday afternoon for the kids to celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, on Saturday afternoon, we've been doing this for the past few years. Um, Beforehand, we were doing mostly adult-oriented St. Patrick's celebrations. And a few years ago, we started with an afternoon on, um, you know, the Saturday that's closest to St. Patrick's. Um, this year, it's bang on with Saturday being the actual day of St. Patrick's Day. Um, so in the afternoon, kids are invited here to our facility, to Shamrock Centre, to enjoy free activities. Um, there's a couple of activities. Um, one of them is going to be bumper cars on ice. Um, so something new that we haven't had here to our community. So we're looking forward to, uh, to some fun on the, on the ice. We'll also have some laser tags, some giant um, games, and then things like tattooing and hot chocolate and decorating cookies, all kinds of fun. For those who are not familiar with Killarney, where is it, uh, let's say, if we're coming down from Winnipeg? Um, 
if you're coming from Winnipeg, you would come from the north, most likely. Uh, beautiful uh, travel through the Pelican Lake area, which is Ninette. And then you would head south on number 18. And number 18 brings you right into Killarney. We're at 725 Broadway Avenue, which is Broadway is our main drag. You can't miss us. We're an 80,000 square foot um, facility. So uh, when you come into town, we would be on your right-hand side. I see you also. Is, is this still a thing? Uh, the Blarney Stone Pub and Restaurant? Uh Yes, there is, a, there is a new restaurant in town, which is called the Blarney Stone. Again, we like to keep with that. <laughs> keep uh, consistent. Keep with that green patties, uh, patties feel. Um, we've got lots of things in um, Clarney that are kind of geared toward um, St. Patrick's. We've got green fire trucks and green fire hydrants. We've got car- parks named Kerry and Erin. We've got the Little Irish Downs, which are our harness racing weekends. And um, our uh, water tower actually is painted green with a very large green uh, shamrock on it. Neat. So we like to keep with the theme for sure. Heather, thank you for this. Happy St. Patrick's Day in advance. I know of all the places in Manitoba I'd like to be on Saturday, Killarney is the place. DJ sent us a text message here. You can pass this along. Killarney has a great rink and great people. Kids uh, went to tournaments there. The Zamboni driver was the fastest I've ever seen. (laughs) So you can pass that along, Heather. We appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, and welcome to Killarney if you're ever here. All right. Thank you very much, Heather. I've also heard they've got good golf down in Killarney. Yes, they do. That could be my next stop on my Southern Manitoba tour, golfing tour. We're going to introduce you to a gentleman that needs no introduction to talk about a project we introduced you to two weeks ago. It's called the Rail Yard Relocation Project. And for the second time this week, they're having a meeting at City Hall. Sel Burroughs, co-chair of the Rail Yard Relocation Project, joins us by telephone now. Good morning, Sel. Morning. Beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. And uh, to get folks up to speed, what is the Rail Yard Relocation Project? Give us the uh, elevator pitch, and then we'll find out what's been happening this week and what's going to happen this morning. Well, right in the middle of the city, dividing the north end and the south end, is 400 acres of CPR rail yards. Uh, They've been dividing our city, and they've been an important part of our city. However, times have changed, and our group feels that this is a prime possibility for a development that will bring the north end and the south end together and revitalize the uh, downtown, larger downtown part of Winnipeg. It's uh, it's an t- opportunity that time has come, and uh, our little group, which started as a little group, is growing fast uh, has energy and skills that we are offering to city and other levels of government to help bring this about. Now, before we talk a little bit about today's meeting, you had a meeting on Tuesday with uh, city councillors John Orlico and uh, Matt Allard, as well as the City of Winnipeg Long-Term Planning Coordinator Greg Holmes. How did that go? It went beyond our wildest dreams. This whole thing is moving much faster than we believed. Both Councillor Allard and Councillor Orlico uh, uh, were strongly supportive of the initiative and indicated that uh, we they wanted to work continue to work with us and the, the city uh, officials and see if we can bring this about. 
So it's uh, 7.52 as we speak in about an hour and eight minutes. Where will you be, Selboros? Well, we'll be sitting down, uh, Lloyd Axworthy, uh, Winston Smith, QC, uh, Arlene Draffin-Jones, Charlie Huband, and myself will be sitting down with the mayor. Um, we believe that it's going to be a very positive meeting. Indications are the mayor's uh, very understanding of the, po- the potential of this, and uh, we hope that we can offer resources to him, to the city, that... Uh, will help make this happen. One of the things I just want to mention, you know, Charles Huban and I started this initiative two months ago. We've been inundated with people offering. One of the fellows is somebody named Neil Greenslade. He's the retired general manager of the CPR yards. He knows every break, every inch of the rail lines, and he's offered his expertise to help with the city on this. That's just an example of what... uh, interested citizens can bring to support city, provincial, and federal, and CPR uh, officials to make this vision real. And I just wanted to point out something of a similar nature. Arlene Draffin-Jones, past president of the Women's Women's Council of Winnipeg, is is someone you mentioned in that meeting today. But Winston Smith, who is Winston Smith QC, Sal? Well, he's a Winnipeg lawyer, but he happens to have been the general counsel for the CPR in the past, and uh, he brings uh, wonderful expertise uh, that uh, we couldn't dream of having. And just another lawyer that's not at this meeting, Michael Mercury, who was the CNR's lawyer when the Forks was uh, turned over to the city and developed as a a wonderful city resource. Uh, People forget the Forks used to be the CNR yards, similar, much smaller, but similar to the CPR yards. And uh, what can happen in the CPR yards with the rail line relocation is something even bigger and more uh, dynamic for the city than our wonderful Forks. Sel, we know you're on the move, so we appreciate you shoehorning us in to your day today. Best of luck with the mayor. We look forward to catching up and finding out how that meeting went. Charles Huband is the other co-chair of the Railway Location Relocation Project, and uh, he will be on with Kathy Kennedy, who's in for Jeff Curtier later on this morning. Sel Burroughs, thank you. Thanks again, Sal. Have a good day and have a good meeting. 7.55 on 680 CJOB. Yeah, the feasibility study that this group has put together, the Rail Yard Relocation Project, they say uh, their, their study is proposing it will provide clear facts on issues like cost and ground pollution, which have been dealt with successfully in other cities. And it would also give Winnipeg citizens an opportunity to contribute their vision of the potential of this large site. 400 acres and you know when you draw the correlation and you recognize and realize that the forks was just a smaller version of what the cpr yards are now 30 years ago i remember when they started dismantling the fork site and when people were talking about we're going to take this building we're going to convert it into a market we're going to take this johnston terminal building we're going to turn it into office space and more retail we're going to take the old steam plant we're going to turn this something else i i think a lot of people were very skeptical about whether or not that could happen and we're now on the precipice of creating community places uh coffee shops uh more commercial development and residential development at the Forks. I don't know if we would have imagined that some 35 years ago. Sky's the limit. 
Imagination. Who knows? One, two, three. Time now for three things with Shanalee Vidal. Three things today about vaccinations. Good morning. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Yes, vaccinations are a hot topic today. Because... I almost read vacations taking out just a, <laughs> maybe that's a sign of where my head and my mind is heading right now. Well, you know what? They, they can actually go kind of hand in hand. One goose in the sky and Brett's already thinking about vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. Okay. So first off, when when we uh, talk about vaccinations, we often think of, of kids, especially kids in school. You know, we're getting vaccinations in school. Maybe some parents opting out. The Manitoba School Board is voting on whether or not to lobby the province to make make vaccinations mandatory in schools. But many of us don't realize that adults need to make sure that their vaccinations are also up to date. And that's especially if you're traveling overseas to certain countries. You're, you might need to provide proof that you've been vaccinated for certain diseases like polio and measles. And it's also, it's not a bad idea to get vaccinated for things like typhoid and hepatitis A. And But often you don't know what vaccines you have. So you can ask your doctor. That is your your first resource. You can also call the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority's immunization record line at, you got a pen? 204-938-5347. And they will dig that information up for you. Typhoid. Kind of sounds like I know it's bad, but it sounds kind of cool. You're like thinking a, of typhoon, like a super villain or something. It does. <laughs> I, am, I am typhoid. It sounds horrifying to me, but uh, if it sounds cool to you, Brett, well, well, uh, super, well, super villain is implies bad. Got you. Okay. Yeah. All right. There all right. Is, it's funny. I just this makes me think of there is a, a book. It's called. It's a great book. It's called Fall on Your Knees by Anne Marie McDonald. Okay. Great book if you ever get a chance to read it. And uh, in the story, there's a, a little a little girl, and she has all these dolls, and she. Names them after diseases. (laughs) (laughs) All righty then. Okay. (laughs) I like that. What's the name of the book again? It's called Fall on Your Knees. Fall on Your Knees. Okay. I'm writing that down. And so now number two, number two, I was just actually looking up on my phone because it can be difficult to lose track of what vaccinations you have and have not received. We have a handy little thing that you can do. There is a free app that allows you to keep track of all that information for yourself and your family. It's called the Can Immunize app. It's available for both Apple and Android devices. And this is partially funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada. Not only does the app keep a secure record of your vaccinations, it also sends you reminders to schedule vaccinations. And the app uh, also includes a, a health map section. So there you can see a comprehensive view of the global, the current global state of infectious diseases and their effect on human and animal health. It's also a, hand, it's a handy tool, especially if you're thinking of a vacation. See, vacation, vaccination. They kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, they do go hand in hand. And it's interesting because we're getting a ton of feedback on text message, as you might imagine, Shanalee, on vaccinations. There are a lot of people who are for and against and everywhere in between. But this whole, there, there are a lot of vaccinations, I think, that most of us will look at and go, well, why? Yeah, why wouldn't you have a vaccination against typhoid? Yet there are other vaccinations where people go, well, maybe not so fast. So uh, having that map in terms of traveling and and getting away, you may want to know where different diseases are prevalent. So that would be an absolutely handy dandy sort of app to have. Absolutely. Because the worst thing is you don't want to end up in a foreign hospital bed suffering from some terrible illness for months and months and months. It's 
not fun. It happened to、uh, someone I knew once. Well, there、it、happened. You go. She got sick in Thailand and was there for. Good three months with、oh、some、goodness. mysterious illness. My goodness. Now,、wow. something I'd never heard of before, you have it on your list here airport measles? Well, this, this is an interesting one. This kind of goes with the, the vacation and traveling one. So, and also a reminder why you want to make sure that your children and your own vaccinations are up to date. So, this happened recently.、Uh, travelers pa- passing through Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey may have been exposed to the measles virus. Oh, boy. The State Department of Health says a young Child carrying the highly contagious disease arrived in the airport Monday from Brussels and later departed from Memphis. and Health officials are warning symptoms could develop as late as April 2nd. See, patient zero, right? They know exactly who had this, where they were, and the fact that it could be spreading. Exactly. So it's not just it's not just it's protecting yourself, but also protecting other people from, from catching something from you. So, very, very important to make sure that vaccination is updated. And that's actually on my to do list. Is to, I'm going to be contacting my doctor and saying, hey, I want to check in and make sure that I'm all caught up on these vaccinations, especially since、uh, I am actually planning a trip to go overseas. Now, the, the,、uh, the hepatitis vaccine, like if you're going to,、uh, I remember when I went to Mexico over 10 years ago, that was something I had to do. But it was a multi. Phase process. Three or four, right? Yeah, I think there were two before, but so you had to go for one and then you had to go back a couple weeks later for the second one. And I think you had to go back upon your return for a third shot. And as I think about it, I don't know that I did that. I'm irresponsible. I'll have to check on the app that you download the app, <laughs> Can Immunization app. Or you can also, I'll give you that number once again that,、uh, the, uh, so that you can call the WRHA and double check. Okay, I got my clicky pen right here. Okay, the, immuni- the rec- immunization record line is 204 938 5347. them a call and they'll give you that information. All right, thank, thank you, you very、Shirley. much. Shanalee Vidal, three things with Shanalee heard every day right after the 8 o'clock news here on 680 CJOB. Brett, have you ever run a marathon? No. Thought about it? No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> the Manitoba Marathon is hosting a grand celebration for its 40th birthday, and it's looking for its first ever participants to join the party. And we are joined live on 680 CJOB by the executive director for the Manitoba Marathon, Rachel Monday. Rachel, hey, thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. Good. Good morning. How are you guys today? Doing all right. Doing all right. Great. So, you're looking for all participants from the inaugural run? We are. So, this year is, as you said, our birthday. We're turning 40 this year, and we've got a big celebration planned, of course.、Um, but one of our challenges is that every, you know, on our anniversary years, we like to invite a, what we call the 79ers. So, all 5,000 people who ran in 1979,、um, of course,、uh, none, nothing was digital back then. So, we have no records of. You know, the internet didn't exist. People didn't have email addresses. So we'd love for them to reach out and get in touch with us so that they can come out and participate. So if you know somebody that maybe ran in that first marathon or you ran it in it yourself, how do you reach out, Rachel? How do you get in touch?、Um, I would say either email us at the office at mountomarathon.mb.ca or even just call the office,、uh, Mountain Marathon office. 204 415 um Just to say, the interesting thing is that、uh, back in the first marathon in 1979,、um, we had even kids running.、Um, so we had some kids as young as five and six years old who ran you know three and four miles that day.、Um, so they didn't necessarily have to run and finish the full 26.2, but we had a lot of participants who ran just a, a part of the distance. So we'd love to hear from them as well. Do you know how many people participated in that inaugural marathon? 
It was close to 5,000. Wow. And do you know if anybody uh, has participated in every single one of these since it began? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We have one, uh, we call him a legacy runner, Len Rolson, and he has run the full marathon every year for the past 39 years. What an inspiration. That is fascinating. Uh, Yeah, absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. Now, I remember when we were celebrating the 35th anniversary. So here we are all of a sudden at the 40th annual Manitoba Marathon. Just talk a little bit about the history, Rachel, and where the, the money's raised go. Right. So the Manitoba Marathon was founded by John Robertson and a group of uh, concerned Manitobans. Um, We support people living with intellectual disabilities throughout the province of Manitoba. And all of the money that we raise goes back directly to those individuals and the organizations that support them. So we support them in their uh, desire and their right to live within the community um, and not in institutional care. Um, But we also provide them with the opportunity to take holidays and uh, respite care for their families and that kind of thing. So it's important work that we do and we've been doing it for a very long time. And this is such a massive event. You host approximately 11,000 people every year, 1,500 volunteers, and then an estimated 40,000 spectators at the finish line and along the race route. And that's one of the things that I noticed because I actually live on my apartment building is right along one of the routes. So I remember waking up one morning to suddenly there's the sounds of cowbells outside my window and random cheering. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I see all these people who are in much better shape than I am uh, running past, past my home. It's a big party, that's for sure. Rachel, there are lots of different ways to get involved. If you don't want to run, you can certainly volunteer. But the there are different uh, race distances, as you mentioned, from day one. You didn't have to run the full 26.2-mile race, and that's still the case. Right, absolutely. So that's part, you know one thing that differentiates us from other races. We have, of course, the full marathon. Uh, we have a half marathon. We have a five-man relay, which is great for families and corporate teams. Um, even just friends. Uh, We have the 10K, which is our biggest growing event. Uh, We have our uh, super run. Um, And then we, of course, have the mini mites, which is a great opportunity for uh, people to get their tiny little kids out and get involved. So we definitely have something for everyone. Our early bird actually is next Tuesday. So I would encourage people to get out and register. Um, In an anniversary year, uh, we always see more participation. So actually our registrations are up almost 100% over last year already. Wow. So what do you yeah. have a, do you have a projection on what how many people might be participating? You know, we're expecting somewhere around 14, possibly this year 14,000. We generally see an increase uh, in anniversary years, as I said. Um, but of course, we also cap the events, so we would hate for anyone who really wants to run to miss out. So of course, this takes place on Father's Day. Now that's the most important day of the year, Father's Day. Absolutely. Being a father and all. Uh, but I don't even know what the date is this year. Do you know, Rachel, off the top of your head? Uh, we will be celebrating on June 17th. June 17th. So mark your calendar down. Uh, support someone that's running. If you don't want to run yourself or maybe you're uh, incapable, uh, donate, uh, sponsor, get involved as a volunteer, get out as a spectator and cheer on those runners. I have such an ultimate respect for those that can run the full distance, any distance, quite frankly. And uh, this event continues to grow in popularity and is really a hallmark event on the gigantic and jam-packed calendar of events in our community. Rachel, you and your crew do an amazing job. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great day. All right, Rachel Monday, Executive Director, Manitoba Marathon, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Once again, they are looking for all participants from the inaugural run. We got a geography lesson from one of our listeners. Oh? We've been telling folks that that 
crash at the Assiniboine Park entrance is at Shaftesbury and Roblin. It's actually known as Corden in that part. You know what? And in I, that stretch. So. And I thought so. I thought as I looked at that, I thought, you know, I think that's still Corden. But it I is. never, I, I, and I live on Corden, so I guess I should know that. Oh. But I never drive, I rarely drive that far up. So I couldn't remember where it becomes Roblin. Yeah, another one of those weird Winnipeg idiosyncrasies where streets that are, you know, two kilometers in length can have three different names, and then you have these great big long stretches of road that have two different names for some unknown reason. So, yeah, so we're actually Shaftesbury and Corridan, the entrance of Assiniboine Park, and I believe the truck that crashed in the sign also took out a traffic signal. So be aware of that as you're making your way in on your commute this morning. Hey, Don told us that he saw a Canada Goose this morning. Somebody texted us and says that they saw and heard their first Robin on Sunday afternoon. I'm getting excited. Spring is actually going to (laughs) come. Comes every year, but there's always that fear that it's not coming back. When was it? What's the earliest you've ever golfed? Uh, The earliest I've ever golfed. There was one year where the golf courses opened March 17th, but I don't think I got out still until late April because it cooled off again after that. Dramatically, I think it was four years ago when on March 30th we were 26 degrees or on March 26th we were 30 degrees, one or the other. I had my pool all clean and ready to go by April 1st. It was unreal. Wow. Yes. I would like another year like that. Me, yes, please. We got a text message. Saying, hey, because we said that Don texted to say, sure, sign of spring, just saw a Canada goose. So it was the first goose of the season that Don had seen. So we were celebrating with Don. But Kristen says, hey, sorry to burst the bubble, but there have been geese seen for over a month already. If you want a real sign, spring is coming. The turkeys are in the mood. (laughs) Thank you very much. Because the turkeys are in the mood. Oh, and the bountiful sunshine's bound to put you in the mood, too. Something about that vitamin E. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, soon we're going to see those same two geese who come back here in our parking lot year after year. They'll set up shop in one of the planters across the parking lot near the Marshalls and the Bed Bath & Beyond. And they'll hiss at all the customers. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's not an exact. We have the same two geese. Well, we don't know if it's yep. the same two ones, but no, it's it, the same two. The same two. They yeah. come back every year and uh, they hiss at everybody as they decide to set up shop in a really dumb spot. Our friends Evan Fogg and Phil Squarey over at Lux Barbecue, same thing in their park parking lot. Really? Yes. There's a there's a pair of geese, uh, a mother goose there, and uh, the biggest puddle in the parking lot, inevitably right in the middle of it. <laughs> And that goose claims that puddle as her own. <laughs> so, so hey, you know what? They're a great sign of spring. They're a little bit of a pain in the neck, but uh, I'll take them any day over what we got right now. Yeah, yeah, they are kind. They are kind of a pain, really. But, they uh, kind of are. Yeah. I think there's one community in Michigan. They're trying to sue Canada for all the extra maintenance that they have to do because of the geese in their parks. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll have to look that up. That was just off the top of my head. I know I saw that somewhere. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they just uh, shovel all the poop and uh, put it on a truck and uh, send it back across the border. I don't know. Anyway, we digress. Uh, we were digressing yesterday for a very important reason. It was 317, or 314 rather, 3.14, pi, P-I, and uh, that was Pi Day. God is talking about Pi, P-I-E. Yep. And, uh, well, I seem to have caused a, a problem with the rhubarb lovers of Manitoba. Yes. I referred to rhubarb as a vile weed. Can I requalify how I feel about rhubarb? Yes. I would say it is the broccoli of fruit. I love broccoli. It's good for you. Really? Then maybe you'd like to have a piece. Gladly. <laughs> Vile weed! Vile weed indeed! Hot mustard or honey mustard. Stat! <laughs> that, of course, from Seinfeld and Newman, who got caught at the, at the uh, Kenny Rogers Roaster buying broccoli, and Jerry knew something was up because there's... No way. Newman would be eating broccoli. And uh, if you ever see me eating broccoli, I'm probably caring for somebody else. If you see me with rhubarb or broccoli, I'm carrying it as a favor to somebody. I like Not broccoli. Myself. You like broccoli? And I, you get this. I had this. I haven't had weird dreams lately. I had this dream. Like maybe I was just hungry, but I've never been found myself actively hungry for broccoli. But I dreamt that I was eating like this gigantic oversized piece of Fresh broccoli. It was like a like the size of a football. You were dreaming about this? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know why. It was very good. And I woke up wanting to go buy broccoli. How do you cook your bro- broccoli typically? I don't. Do you just eat it raw? I don't eat it. So I, I rarely eat it. I should say, I don't eat it at home. I eat it if it happens to be cooked when I go for supper at my parents' place. Okay, so we've started cooking broccoli this way at home. On a cookie sheet, you have to have the parchment paper, right? Yep. And you put it on the, on the parchment paper, and then you season it, and then and then roast it kind of in the oven. Okay. Uh, it's actually palatable like that. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. You yeah. might like it. I should try Can that. Try the cauliflower? Even better that way. Uh, so everywhere I went yesterday... Yep. Boy, we went a long way around on broccoli to back to rhubarb. Ah, that's okay. Train of thought making a side uh, pit stop. That's what we do. Rhubarb, is it a fruit or is it a vegetable, first first of all? Uh, I don't know. I actually had to look it up. And with what I found in the first website I set, found, it said uh, technically... Legally, Technic- technically, legally it's, it's a, a vegetable? R- technically, it's a vegetable. Legally, it's a fruit. Okay. Yes, I think that's how it was worded. Okay, just because of the way it grows, right? It grows under the ground, it's not on a tree, etc., blah, 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 blah. It's a root vegetable, technically, but we classify it as a fruit. Well, nowhere could I go yesterday without somebody (laughs) chastising me for my hate on for rhubarb, and everywhere I went yesterday, people were telling me their favorite pies. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Because of our conversation yesterday. That's great. So it was uh, great to bump into. I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. It was half a dozen people in my travels yesterday. <laughs> By the way, rhubarb's delicious. <laughs> Good Lord. I'm surprised nobody threw a stock of rhubarb at my car. I was driving down Henderson Highway yesterday. 
Yeah, well, we got all sorts of uh, heat on that yesterday. People were suggesting the lemon meringue pie. Yes. Well, we didn't mention lemon meringue. We got some flack for that. I don't know that banana cream got mentioned. I don't, I don't think any flack got Boston taken for Boston cream that. got mentioned, right? Yeah, it Bryce. Was Bryce said that that was his favorite. Oh, and he was excited to say that. He was wait <laughs> After giving us, I think he was more excited about that than any of the business notes he had prepared. Boston cream sounds wonderful, though. And one time I remember I had this weird craving. I was homesick from school or something, and I said, I, I need to eat something that's going to make me feel better. So I went to Safeway and bought a banana cream pie and just ate the whole thing in bed. Uh, one of my brothers thinks birthday cake is a... Uh is it like a, what, what do you call it? A food section? What, food do, you, what group? do you call it? Food group. <laughs> food group. Uh, by the way, circling back to the whole idea that the uh, birds are in the mood. Yes. Ready for love. The sparrows, Jeanette says, in my backyard have been actively in the mood for well over two weeks now. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the, the picture that we got of the turkeys, it looks like they were they were kind of doing a little bit of a... A dance, perhaps. Full plumage. Yes. A, a courting process. Oh, I believe that we need some video on that. Just only to a certain point. <laughs> well, this restaurant in Winnipeg is a little bit of a local treasure. Right across the street from our former location at 930 Portage Avenue. I'm Greg. He's Brett Mackling and McGarry in the morning, 680 CGOB. And uh, Chef Cam Tran is here from Café Sassoir. Good morning, Cam. Good morning. Uh, and of course, uh, being a restaurant guy for as long as you have, uh, it only took us, what, about 90 seconds to figure out some restaurant people we had in common? That's correct. <laughs> it's a great fraternity. It's a great place to come from. And, and Winnipeg has a history of great restaurants and a great industry. Tell us a little bit how long you've been in the restaurant industry and your training, and then we'll tell people about why we brought you in. Uh, I started with my father. He was a chef, and he trained me. And after that, in 97, I went to chef school at Red River College, and that's how I started. So I met a lot of people during back then, and now... My classmates are professors at Red River, so it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so the world's greatest French dinner is an event organized by the French Ministry for Europe and Foreign Affairs on March 21st. 150 countries will bring together over 3,000 restaurants and 150 embassies over five continents in a celebration of French gastronomy. How did you get involved in this? To be honest, I. It just all out of luck. I got an email from the um, from the Ministry of um, in Toronto, the French em- embassy, and asked me if I would like to take part. But first, I have to apply. So I applied and went through it, and I got accepted. So they said, "Yeah, welcome to the board. We only select out of three thousand chefs around the world." I go, "Wow, it's like one of the most amazing event. It's going to happen right now." Congratulations. On and it's uh, it, the website is goodfrance.com. Uh, it's actually kind of clever. It's Goût de France, but uh, they change it to Good France for English. So you grew up in Vietnam, correct? Yes, correct. Why French restaurant? Uh, French restaurant, well, a lot of people don't realize Vietnam is actually conquered by the French back in, I'm talking about like 1930s, right? It's a French culture. Uh, our written language is actually written similar to French. Uh, just missing two characters. That's pretty much it out of the alphabet. And being here growing up in the um, 
in the Chinese cooking industry, I expanded from the Chinese, Japanese, and right into Red River College, learning the technique of French cuisine. But I was never trained until I started working in La Vigar. So, what are some of the main characteristics of French cooking, and and some of the main ingredients that that you work with? Um, mostly French cuisines consist of butter. Like that's <laughs> mostly what we use: butter, cream. <laughs> Wide and lots of cheese. I love it. So far, so good, man. Yeah, and it wouldn't work, unfortunately, by the, for, for Jerry, for our vegan pal. Uh, but this does sound pretty good. Is there a significance to the date, March 21st? Or is that just the day that they happen to pick it? It's the day they decide to pick it. Um, I, not that I know there's any significance, but I guess when they decided all together to make the 21st is to recognize French culture and French cuisine day. So it just all of a sudden by all with the ministry and the chef to create that. So it's the fourth year for this event, which sees some 3,000 participating restaurants, including uh, eight in Toronto and your restaurant here in Winnipeg. This, is this the, the first year for you? It's the first year. Yeah. Yep. So how, do you, like, are you already booked up for that day? Or? No, it's surprising. It's, um, I posted it, and people that check our website are interested. We already sold eight tickets, so now we have 13 tickets left. And that's it. It's just one event with good food, good wine. It has to be French wine, of course, and champagne. And the champagne has to be real champagne because that's one of the criteria. You cannot have bubbly wine and call it champagne. (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) The celebration of a genuine French food. So what are you going to be serving? Is this going to be like a, what do you call it, a a fixed price, a fixed menu? It's a fixed price, $125 plus tax and gratuities. And it's a four-course meal. So you're tasting the elegance of real high-end French food at a lower cost. That's what you're going to get. So I could explain the menu. Like the first course is consists of three. So you, you get your, uh, it's a bison tartare. And the bison meat comes from my friend that owns a bison farm down south. So just right on Rosa. So that's where all my bison meat comes from. Um, and then you get frog legs, traditional classic frog legs, and big snail. So that's the first course. And the second course I'm using is the, um, it's a seafood soup. That it's based on Marseille in the south of France, so it's got classic seafood soup. So that's tell me second. more about the seafood soup. I'm oh, great. I love, love the soup. soup. <laughs> soup. So soup, the, the classic soup in Marseille is there's two style. There's soup de poisson, which is just the uh, fish soup, and it's a bunch of fish all boiled together. Then it gets grind up, so it becomes more like a pasty, and it's used saffron and tomatoes right inside. So that's a soup, and you dip it with croutons right inside with uh, chili mayo. So that's the uh, that's the soup. It's full of flavor, like lots and lots of flavor. We're using a lot of vegetable. It's a couple of step process to make the soup. Sounds so, great. Now, what about the yeah. main course? Main course is going to be really good if people are interested. It's quail. So I don't know if you ever had quail. Uh, people hate it because there's so much bones in there. You got to start like cutting away and chewing bones. So this one is actually all the bones. So there is no bones. So it's completely gone. And it's stuff with duck breast, uh, black truffle which is not a, one of the nice ex- ingredients in France we use, quite expensive, I'm and foie gras. So hungry. Foie gras! Yeah, on top of that too, so big chunk of foie gras, black truffle, duck breast, all right inside the quail. How wow. long does this three-course meal take to, to eat? Uh, you, it's a four-course because there is a dessert. Okay. Um, you should look around two and a half, three hours. 
Yeah, because I was just thinking that anytime I go out for for dinner and I I and I do an appetizer and then I do a main course and then I by the time I get to dessert I'm already I'm full halfway through the main course and then I get to dessert on top of that and they just want to explode. Um so I guess Two and a half hours sounds like that's that gives you time to pace yourself a little yeah. bit. Usually, I found that here um, after living in France, um, I found that we actually take a time to eat more than what Canadians and Americans people do. We tend to eat really, really fast and not really enjoy the food. So when you get accustomed to the European style, they, we actually sit down and we just mingle and eat and drink at the same time. So by the time you finish your three course. Well, four course, you're looking around, wow, we've just been here for five hours already. So it's a very different story there. And and what about the, you know, I've heard this, I have not been to Europe, so I don't know, but I, I understand or believe or have led to, been led to believe that you start eating dinner at a much later hour in Europe than we do traditionally here. Uh, yes. Um, depending where you go, most restaurant, like where I was working as a pastry chef in Central Pay, uh, we don't open the restaurant until 7.30 at night. Don't open? <laughs> until 7.30. Wow. So in between, if you really want to go for dinner at 6 or 7, forget it. They'll say it's full, but then you look at the restaurant, it's completely empty. <laughs> but because they know they're not going to serve you until 7.30. Isn't that something yeah. else? So uh, tell us uh, on the 21st, what time do things get underway and how can people get tickets for this? Uh, tickets could be purchased right at a restaurant and you could just call ahead and just make sure uh, we just get their credit card number information. It's 50% down because we have people bailed out many times, so it has to be a guarantee. Um, and the starting is 6 o'clock. I know that every time we say 6, everybody starts arriving later and later, and then dinner doesn't start until 7. So that's why I always say 6 o'clock is where it starts. And is there are there two rounds? Like, for example, are you, are you doing a 6 o'clock run and then maybe at 9 o'clock? No, just one seating. Okay. We're only a small little restaurant, and I want... All my customers you really enjoy the fine quality of French food. So including the wine, the champagne, and dessert wine. So, well, What is uh, for dessert, by the way? Did we mention that? Uh, no. Dessert is a... Um, yeah, I went to France to study as a pastry chef. And so the dessert I created is in almost like a dome shape. And it consists of almonds d'aquoise, which is like a flourless kind of like a cake, uh, like a... Almost like a meringue base, kind of. Uh, it's a meringue base. So you got the cake at the bottom, then it's filled with pomegranate jelly, uh, maple, cinnamon, creme brulee, and chocolate chili mousse. So all that goes inside a small little bowl, I could say, like a mold, and then it gets covered with a dark chocolate glaze right after that. Okay, so but this has an incredible name. Is it gâteau aphrodisiac? No, gâteau aphrodisiac, because I just took all the aphrodisiac ingredients and try to put it into a cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll we'll find out about uh, maybe 11.30 or so on the 21st if it actually works. <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> wow. It, it all sounds delightful. <laughs> Chef Cam Tran from Cafe Sassoir on Portage Avenue. Uh, and what's the address on Portage, by the way? Uh, it's 937 uh, Portage. Okay, yeah, that's just uh, just a couple of blocks west of Arlington. It's actually where near where we used to be on Portage Avenue across the street. Uh, so once again, we're talking about 
the fourth edition of Goût de France or Good France. This is a huge event where there's going to be 3,000 restaurants participating, 150 embassies over five continents in celebration of French gastronomy on March 21st. And you can get tickets to go to Cafe Sassoir. I suspect those tickets aren't going to last long, though, especially after you told us all of that stuff. I am so painfully hungry now. So thank you for that, Chef. I appreciate it. <laughs> CafeSassoir.ca is the website if you want to give them a call. 204-414-SOIR SWAR 7647 if you need the uh, literal numerical translation there. Thanks, Chef. Great to meet Hello. you. Nice to meet you guys too. La mer Qu'on voit danser Le long Du golfe clair a des reflets d'argent, la mer, des reflets changeants. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And